Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. You're with uh, by Intuit in the Triple R studios. We've got Ro Murray. Good evening. And Dan Morganti. Hey, hey. And I'm Vanessa Tolker. Thanks for being with us tonight in lockdown. Hope you're keeping cosy wherever you are. Um, tonight we're going to take a look at a range of world tech news. We're also going to speak to Milan Rajkovic of Otto IT. Um, it's a very interesting little local Northgate business story. And uh, we'll chat to Dr. Alon Ilsar from Monash's Sensi Lab, who's been researching very cool things that you can do when digital clashes with musical instruments. So uh, before we get to that, it's time for some of that, as promised, tech news. Ro, what has been happening? Oh, gosh. So as it's all been making headlines, but it's been a bit of a weird month in the good old billionaire space race. Um, Gizmodo Australia covered it with the headline, the dickhead has landed, which <laughs> thrilled me thrilled me to bits. Um, but while we're all, you know, battling pandemics and wild weather and storms and, you know, clear climate change, Jeff Bezos has <laughs> been up into space. So um, he has officially travelled past the um, Kármán line, which is the internationally recognised edge of space, which is 100 kilometres above sea level um, at approximately 9.04am Eastern Standard Time yesterday, which has actually awarded him the permanent honorific astronaut. Is that what it takes? I didn't realise. Yeah, yeah, so there's an actual thing behind it and he's very smug about the fact that Richard Branson, who went up just um, a couple of weeks ago, went 85 kilometres up. Um, and a little and shy of the astronaut title. Not technically he, an astronaut. Not technically an astronaut. Yeah. I guess it gives him a good excuse to get back up there again. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a very short short trek. The capsule landed in West Texas 10 minutes and 18 seconds after liftoff. Um, and, um, you know, we just, you know, be very interesting to see if there's actually any benefit to humanity. <laughs> no research was undertaken, all of those things. So I guess there's a combination of celebration and frustration at how, you know, this, this trip came about. Yeah, how mm. you can spend so much money on something when there's so many other pressing needs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. At least absolutely. he thanked all his customers when he got back down. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm did sure he take a, about that. Did he take a package up and back down with him? I mean, it'd be one of the shorter routes for some of them. Um, but speaking of space, and a much more wholesome story is um, the very, very famous Hubble telescope is back online after a month in the dark. So on June 13 this year, an, an onboard computer stopped unexpectedly which basically caused all of the Hubble systems to revert to safe mode. Um, like, we all know the Hubble. It was first launched in 1990. So after 31 years of providing us with some very awesome space images, it wasn't looking too good for the old sport. But thankfully, hope wasn't lost. A um, whole bunch of tests happened, obviously remotely. NASA engineers identified that the issue was related to the power control unit that supplies electricity to the payload computer. So... As of the 17th of July, back at it and back out of safe mode timeout. Um, you can also follow the Hubble on Twitter at NASA Hubble, all one word. Um, 
And it really bounced right back into action. So hop on that Twitter feed and check it out because NASA has very quickly shared a new photo of the brilliant, it's absolutely gorgeous starscape of NGC 6380. The name, boring. The image, anything <laughs> but. Um, NGC 6380 is part of the Scorpio constellation and this incredible image is so worth looking up like it's one of those real Ah, <laughs> moments. So definitely recommend taking a look. <laughs> I love that, Ro. Thank you. Yes. Um, and into more grounded news uh, and in the video game space, Valve's Steam Deck has uh, been announced. Uh, Valve uh, released this at the same moment that uh, the new enhanced OLED uh, switches went on pre-sale, which uh, says a lot for the kind of uh, market they're going for. Uh, the Steam Deck is, uh, they're very quick to point out, Steam, um, Valve's very quick to point out, it's a, a PC, so you can load your own programs and, and whatnot on it. Um, and it's got face buttons, it's got everything you'd expect from a handheld uh, PC um, and of quite obviously going after that Nintendo market. Um, the only problem is that Valve has not had a good track record with their hardware. So things like the Steam controller, um, the Steam Link, which was a um, device that would transmit the signal from your computer to your TV, um, was famously sold for a dollar at certain retailers just so they could try and get rid of the stock. Uh, so hopefully this one does a little bit better. Um, but also we've had a lot of hardware uh, shortages in the console space mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. So uh, it'd be interesting to see how this goes. I'm hopeful, hopeful for it, but uh, also cautious of Steam's unreliability when supporting their own hardware. Mm, I'm a little bit tempted, but a little bit on the fence at some of these early reviews too. Yeah, absolutely. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au. Triple R. Milan Rajkovic is a software developer and CEO of Otto, a business he started in year eight at Northcote High School. The business now specialises in streamlining processes for businesses through software development. Welcome to the show, Milan. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, really good, thanks. How are you? Fantastic. Excellent, excellent. Look, we met a couple of weeks ago at the Brunswick Design District A Place to Connect event and I only got a tiny amount of time to hear a bit about your story and I thought, oh my gosh, this is just such a great local success story. We've got to have you on. So we have to rewind right back to high school to understand your journey with Otto. How did you start helping people with technology when you were only in year eight? <laughs> it's, uh, it's a long story. But um, in year eight, I was obviously at Northwood High, and I had this thing where I really liked to break things. So I pretty much broke a lot of things at Northwood High. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up getting hired by my coordinator. So my coordinator at the time, Nick Scott, uh, he's now a principal at Maribyrn on Secondary College. He ended up hiring me. Um, but obviously, being under 14, you can't be hired by anyone. So I had to go out, register an ABN number so that I did that with my dad, get a partnership registered, <laughs> and then... 
the school started contracting me to do software development. It was uh, pretty fun, to be honest, but I miss those days. It's, uh, it's so great to hear about a school environment really recognising some talent like that and, in, you know, instead of punishing you for breaking some things, maybe putting you to work. <laughs> Very creative problem solving there. Um, what do you remember enjoying or perhaps being less interested in while you were at high school in terms of all the, the subjects and things going on? It was definitely my English classes. I hated those so much. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously I didn't hate them enough because... Um, at the end of uh, high school, I ended up getting accepted to Deakin University for a Bachelor of Commerce. Um, I had a triple major in accounting, marketing and commercial law. Um, commercial law being very English heavy, obviously. <laughs> Do you think you ever would have gone down that path if you hadn't, you know, had to familiarise yourself with ABN forms and partnerships and things in year eight? It was interesting because, like, I knew about all these things. I was doing bash statements in year 11. Um, I was paying my GST returns and everything because we had... Um, I Quarterly had, bash statements. God. Yeah, I had um, clients all down High Street Northcote at the time. I had clients in the city. One of our clients was in 101 Collins Street in year 10, I think it was. Um, and then it was, it just kept on growing and growing. And then I started hiring a couple of the guys that were in the same year level as myself. So they actually subcontracted for me at the time as well. Oh, and then, um, yeah. And then one of the guys that was with me ended up moving to San Francisco and works for Facebook now. So that's pretty cool. Oh, what an amazing pathway. Yeah. So I'm really curious, like it, it sounds like a um, really seamless success story, but I'm sure there were a few bumps along the road, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners at home would be super curious as to, you know, how did you get those clients? Was it a word of mouth scenario or did you have an absolute zinger of a marketing plan? No, nah, it was just like the hard slog. I, um, we had a newsletter that went out to all the kids at Northcote High every month and what I would do is I'd ask the receptionist at the front counter if they could put a little text blob on the newsletter for me. So I I took advantage of that. (laughs) Score. Genius. I was hanging around, like my dad owned a reception centre in in Northcote as well. So I kind of hung around with a lot of people, kept on networking to the point where I started just, everything was word of mouth. I was just referred on to other people, other people. Then I get to a point where I started doing work for a telephone company. They helped me quite a bit because they just wanted to focus on telephones back then and I did all the IT stuff. They contracted me out. So, Milan, what what sort of IT stuff are we talking about at this point? You know, the school called it software development and you're talking about IT support for a phone company. What what sort of tasks are in there? Um, In terms of the software development stuff, like I I was solving little challenges that the high school had. I helped them with um, a software package that assisted them to bring primary school students and do like a 200-question like survey about each student that was coming into the high school to start Year 7. The coordinator in Year 7 would use that information to work out their classes and how they would group students together. So the software I made went out to like all the um, referring primary schools for the for the for Northcote High School. 
Um, and then later on in, like, year 11 and 12, I was doing a bit more in terms of helping the IT guys with general administrative work in the actual school itself. After that, if you look at the work I was doing for, like, the telephone company, um, it was general desktop support, website work, nothing really here or there. But it wasn't until, like, university where I started really growing quite fast, and mm. that's when when I turned 21, I actually had to rent out my first office in High Street, Northcote. <laughs> well, you'd had so um, much success there. How could you resist? Uh, it was just too much to run out of my parents' front room at home. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that sounds like a, a big leap yeah, business-wise. How, how has the business evolved since that point, um, from going from high school to a new office and uh, to now? Well, now we've got over 33 staff. We've got offices. We've got an office in Northcote. Our head office is in Northcote, still on, on High Street. Um, we've got an office in Bendigo, Geelong, Echuca. We've got an office in uh, Manila, Philippines as well. Oh. Yep. Um, and we've got clients that now span all over Australia. We take care of people in Perth, um, South Australia, Tasmania, Victoria, New South Wales and Brisbane. We also have clients in Sri Lanka, Malaysia, the UK, and the Philippines. How varied are the clients? What's the scope of works between uh, from client to client? It's it's quite um, it's quite vast, to be honest with you. Where we condition ourselves as a boutique managed service provider that is able to provide agile solutions. So you kind of fit in this weird bracket of small to mid-sized businesses, which is probably the, the most underutilised uh, area for IT services. A lot of people look at companies of like up to 10 staff. A lot of people, a lot of larger IT companies only want to know about the ones that are over 100 staff. We, we fit in the middle of that, so anywhere from 10 staff to 100. Um, we have clients that range from hospitals in regional Victoria to local councils to accounting firms to law firms to food manufacturers all the way to marketing firms that do online uh, SEO marketing and web hosting. We've even got other IT clients, so other IT companies as clients in different states. We do a lot of infrastructure work for them. And then we even have architects in the design space. So we've got pretty much a wide net, you could say, that we take care of. Yeah, very that's interesting that you're doing direct-to-consumer and B2B. Like, that's um, that's that's great. Well, it's not really direct-to-consumer. It is B2B. Oh, the whole um, way, yes. I the see. whole way through, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm really curious that obviously you've had your business for a while now and it's evolved from, you know, a tiny high school startup into, you know, what it is now. The How has your clients' problems evolved over time we that have, you're in there solving? <laughs> yeah, we have one. Our longest standing client has been a client with me since we I moved out of my parents' <laughs> front room. <laughs> so... 
that company, they're a food manufacturer. I took them on when I was 20 years old. Um, to give you some context, that's 12 years ago now. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were speculating. <laughs> Ancient history. <laughs> I'm not that old. Calm down. <laughs> um, we took them on 12 years ago. They were primarily a value-added chicken product uh, manufacturer, so they would make things like chicken schnitzels, chicken pieves, pretty much everything that you see within the cut within Coles at the time would have come from them. Um, they were a fairly small operation at the time. I would have said maybe four people in their office at the time. Their operation has turned into a global operation now. They've moved into big uh, three products. They're now an office of over well, 20 tons people, I think. Mm-hmm. They have operations internationally. We've helped them all the way from automating their business processes through software, from sales to automated invoice entry to uh, production line to inventory to batch control for their uh, HACCP food requirements. Like, we've done the whole nine yards there. That's probably a good example of a growth with a client. Sounds like there's kind of nothing that you won't take on. There's uh, like, is there, what's like been the most challenging thing to, to learn and um, implement for a client? The most challenging, I think, I think I've always kind of positioned myself as a person that will solve a problem. I think that there's no thing as a problem that can't be solved. And I enjoy seeing a problem that is normally too complex for a, a normal um, running a mill IT company to, to work out. So when I look at a problem, I look at it from what is the business's objective that they want to solve? And then we work backwards from that. We work out if the company has a business objective to get to point B, what do we have to do to get them from where they are now to get there? And that's how I position myself in the market. Milan, that's a very contemporary customer experience focused type of mindset you've got there. What I'm hearing is that you've needed to have a whole lot of personal characteristics to be successful the way you have. Have you done much reflection on, you know, the sorts of things that have helped you, you know, grow your business or have the confidence to to go out and start one by yourself? This year has been probably the most I've actually reflected, to be honest. Mm. So, like, the journey of of Otto, like, we only rebranded recently to Otto. Um, So Otto IT was born this year. Um, Before that, it was Milan Industry. So... I wasn't too creative with the name back then. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think you've got a few excuses, really. Like, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, Richie Rich was your favourite movie. <laughs> you had to name it after yourself. Probably. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but, who's um, this Otto character anyway? <laughs> yeah, like, we, we went through a journey because we merged with another IT company. I've got a pretty uh well thought out growth plan that I would go through and part of that was let's merge with another company. 
Um, we we both chose to um, change the name and rebrand. So we've done that. Uh, we went through a whole exercise to do that. And it was quite interesting when we had our launch party this year for the new brand. I actually invited my year seven coordinator that was the person that actually hired me at Northcote High School. I invited him to the launch party. And that was one of those moments when you sit back and you realise if it wasn't for you that actually hired me, I wouldn't be here right now. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Unreal. It sounds like um, it, community is a big a big thing for you. I mean, you met Vanessa at a community event. Um, you're still in contact with uh, the teacher that first inspired you to start your business. Um, how do you manage that when you're, when you're starting to go global, like national and global? My phone does not stop. <laughs> <laughs> I have... Um, I look, I don't stop working. Um, I am very passionate about what I do. It goes back to that saying that if you enjoy what you do, you don't work a day in your life. And I truly believe that. I think that if you really enjoy what you're doing, you won't feel like you're actually going to work. So putting that into practice for myself is talking to our clients daily, talking to the people that got me where I got, um, where I've come to. Um, it's all about networking, getting yourself out there and just make yourself known. I think that's quite inspiring. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going to say, um, obviously, you know, over the years that you've had this business, you've had to grow and you've had to bring on, you know, staff members in a whole range of disciplines. And I'm really curious as to, you know, the, the sorts of people that it's been, you know, most useful and productive to, you know, hire both from a skills and a personality standpoint. What's been your, you know, strategy for success in that area? I think um, that's an interesting question because when you start as a as a operator, you don't think that you ever need to hire someone else. You feel like you're the person that can do everything. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fairly common uh, thing that goes through your mind. It's like, why do I need to outsource my books to a bookkeeper? Like, I can do that. It takes me five minutes every day to do that. Why do I need to get someone in to do that? I think that if you learn to let go of certain things and re-target your time, you can actually start focusing on things that matter within the business. Not to say that bookkeeping is not important, but it's potentially not one of those things that I would have to do, for example. Mm. Um, What do I think was probably something that helped me a lot, I think that one of the key things was having a really strong service team for me, Um, taking on, like, that front-facing customer service uh, phone call from our clients. Like, we went pretty quick from not having much going on to having, like, six or 800 people that we were managing under support, Mm -hmm. and that growth spurt, I think got us into like the smart, um, like the fast companies, fifty or something. A few years ago, we went, we did like a five hundred percent growth in one year, um, and that was really challenging because it's hard to let go 
of something that you know that you can do really well. Mm-hmm. And then you give it to someone else. But it's all about working with your team and setting them up for success and coaching them through that. And that's been obviously a challenge, but it's also one of the things that defines you as a leader, I suppose. Mm. So, Milan, before we let you go tonight, I wondered if you have any words of wisdom for kids out there who might be feeling a bit inspired by hearing your story and think, gosh, I wouldn't mind starting a business. I do a lot of helping people out of IT sort of things um, or other opportunities. What, what would you say to those kids? I think the main thing is just don't be afraid. Like, if anyone was to start a business and automatically think about how they could fail, no one would ever do anything. So don't be afraid to hit some road bumps along, uh, like speed bumps along the way. You won't get everything right the first time, because I definitely didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And, And if you're determined enough, you'll make it. Well, it is an absolutely brilliant story. We've been speaking with Milan Rajkovic at uh, Otto IT. You can find them at ottoit.com.au. He is the CEO, but uh, we're fortunate that he's not doing every role in the company. He's learnt to let go of some things. (laughs) Thankfully, you haven't let go of having a a couple of radio interviews here and there. Thanks, Milan. No, thank you very much for the time. It's been great to hear from you. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. Triple R on FM, digital, online and via the app. So, um, this evening, our next interview, we're talking to Dr. Alan Ilsar, a drummer, composer, instrument designer, and researcher at Sensor Lab. Tonight, he's here to tell us about how his research at Monash Uni's Sensor Lab led to a collaboration with the University of Technology Sydney's Animal Logic Academy to design a next generation audiovisual experience. Welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. We, we were having a bit of a chuckle before when we um, got you on the line. We love our audio guests who always ask, how's my call quality? How's the sound? <laughs> we appreciate you. We appreciate you very much. That's good. <laughs> well, yeah, I do deal with, with technology and sound a lot. So, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's present. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds fabulous. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh, so we thought we'd kick off a little bit with um, what did you want to get out of becoming a researcher at Monash Uni Sensor Lab? Oh, wow. That's, that's a really interesting Starting question. Starting with um, the little stuff. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I, I've always been uh, an artist. I've always been a, a drummer. And I, as part of my drumming practice, I developed an electronic instrument. Um, and at the same time, I was also plugging away at an arts degree, uh, well, in between tours, and I somehow managed to get into a PhD um, course uh, in Sydney, where I'm originally from, and that led to now getting this research assistant position at at Sensilab in Melbourne, which is a very similar environment to where I was at UTS. It's basically um, part of a faculty of, of IT, but it's a lab where we really explore the way creativity and technology interact. 
Um, so there are different artists um, that work there on developing new pieces of work that highlight technology in, in some way, whether it's AI uh, and poetry, whether it's generated animation, uh, all sorts of things. We really love where the arts cross over with IT and, you know, expand our ideas about what's possible in the space. And we know that you've been working on a product called Airsticks, which it sounds like you had uh, in mind before you were even at Monash. And hello to the cute pup I can hear back there. I've got, I've got an Uber delivery driver um, dropping off. So, yeah. Oh, I thought it was because I said sure the word that... stick. <laughs> Maybe it was. <laughs> Well, adding a bit of colour to the program tonight, I think exactly. we can relate to those um, those local delivery services at the moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you gotten the food in safely? No, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait till he drives off and uh, the dog is to wait. <laughs> so I think in my long winded way, I just wanted you to tell us more about air sticks. What was their you know their uh, inception point, and what is an air stick? Um, yeah, well, another another big question. Um, yeah, so kind of going back to when I was playing drums and a lot of gigs, um, well, I still do, but, um, well, I don't because of COVID, but um, <laughs> as a drummer, um, I was developing uh, a way of playing electronic percussion uh, while playing the drums and manipulating electronic sounds, and luckily for me, I met a brilliant um, composer who was also a computer programmer in Sydney called Mark Havrilev. And he basically made me a hat. That was the first thing he, he had kind of built me, which allowed me to move my head and manipulate the sound of the electronic drum kit that I was playing. Mm. Um, and after a few gigs with that and a very sore neck, I went, this is not the way to <laughs> kind of interact with electronic music. There are, surely there are better ways. Uh, and we came up with this concept of, of um, yeah, being able to play drums in space without actually hitting anything. Um, because for me, as a drummer, you know, you hit acoustic instruments. As soon as you translate that to an electronic instrument when you're hitting pads, you've already lost all that relationship between the sound and the way that you play that that drum or the cymbal or whether you play it with brushes or hands or mallets mm. um, that whole intimacy kind of gets lost it's decoupled electronic music allows you to reinvent that connection and so we thought well let's just get rid of the surface let's just use motion tracking uh technology to um manipulate sound and get away from the sound of a drum kit as well let's mm. we, can, we can make any electronic sound now um so that's how it kind of started. And, and finally in 2012, just before I did my PhD, we discovered these VR controllers that I've been using since um, that just worked perfectly and allowed Mark and his brilliance to come out and create some software, which then allowed me to work as an electronic producer slash drummer in performing live weird dance music um, through movement. <laughs> so uh, you, yeah. you alluded to the sensory feedback that you get from physically playing drums or cymbals or all those sorts of percussive instruments. Exactly. Um, have you incorporated things like haptic feedback into you know, your, your modern instruments? No, um, but we have in the design at Sensor Lab, so basically the air sticks 
what I call Airsticks 1.0 was is the gaming controller version that I used throughout my PhD and did various collaborations, including the one with Animal Logic uh, Academy um, and including one with Tucker on, on um, Triple J's Like a Version and a lot of different collaborations. Uh, Airsticks 2.0 is what I've been doing at Sensilab and developing not just one new tool, but really a, a much more um, modular hardware device that we can not just put on a drumstick and have the tactile feedback of using a drumstick in air because it naturally hits against your palm, but also put it again in a hat if someone wants that in a hat or put it on um, a knee or on the dog, as I've tried, um, <laughs> make the, you know, try to explore how we can use motion sensor technology to make music from other body parts or uh, or, uh, you know, in- integrate into the drum kit as well. Absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely love what you just said about the dog because um, I, was, I was saying to the guys just before we went on air, oh, I want to find out about these air sticks. I'd probably chase the dog around the house with them. So, <laughs> so accurate. Um, I'm very curious. Um, obviously, the air sticks are a thing um, themselves. Do they, um, how, how you've designed them, do they plug into, for example, standard doors like, you know, Ableton, Logic, Pro Tools, or is it its own custom, um, you know, pads or software that you then would import into uh, your, your, your music session? Mm, yeah, great question. So um, the original ones, the Airsticks 1.0, were basically a, a little bit of MIDI software. Um, that would translate these gaming controllers to uh, a lot of sliders, forward, back, up, down, left, right, um, rotating in in three ways, the buttons on them, all of them translated to a similar way to an an Ableton push would talk to Ableton. Mm -hmm. Um, These controllers started talking to Ableton. And my um, kind of, uh, I guess, talent was to do these mappings in Ableton that were meaningful and I could improvise with or I could remix music or I could give them to a dancer to work on a kid's um, dance show, which they ended up being used in. Um, And then also sometimes that same bit of information would go out to Matt Hughes, the interactive uh, visual artist from Animal Logic Academy, and he would use that same information to make incredible game engine type graphics. Um, but now at Sensi Lab, luckily for, for me, I've got a couple of PhD students working on the project as well. And one of them uh, is a composer in his own right and makes a lot of, of sound and music in Max. Um, and we also have a little standalone soft synth kind of application that um, we've created too. But, yeah, it's basically a MIDI instrument. You can probably hear the dog. Yeah, we can. Sorry. <laughs> it seems to be a theme tonight, just, you know, incidental dogs. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just... He's just he's having a great time. But That's he, good um, to hear. Yeah, I could tell him to be quiet in a no. moment. Yeah. It's too much. But no, it's so it's wholesome. Just some background music. Happy to have him good. along for the ride. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, just, I'm just asking for a friend. Um, if Just say this person is terrible at drums is there any way that uh 
the sticks can help this person <laughs> be better at drums. Uh, and FYI, this friend is me. I, I am the person who's bad at drums. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think the air sticks will make you better at drums, but they'll, they'll, they'll allow you to make electronic music um, with less uh, practice than you would when you sit at a drum kit. And I think this is a really, uh, it's a really interesting topic within this kind of field of new instruments um, because we all know what a drum kit's meant to sound like, but no one knows what the air sticks are meant to sound like. Mm -hmm. And that's actually really exciting because it means that someone who sits at a drum kit, they, they tend to freeze up and go, oh, I can't make it sound good. Whereas with the air sticks, what we're looking for, and particularly Kieran Frame, who's um, uh, one of the PhD students who's a composer, he's really interested in this idea that you can give this object to people and they can kind of bring his composition to life, um, but play it, like really play this instrument straight away and have control over it and it sound great and it's, you know, and, and be able to dance with it and not get carried away on, oh, am I doing the right thing or the wrong thing? This is just a thing. I'm enjoying it and I'm getting a sense of flow um, by playing this instrument. So, Alan, when um, so many instruments have initially been invented, you do get the feeling, if you've studied a few of them, that usability wasn't the first thing that these inventors had in mind. You know, no. Maybe you have to have a very tight embouchure or maybe your arms need to be able to reach seventh position for this trombone thing or whatever it might be. But what does having good user experience design look like in your world? Well, I think what's interesting um, for me is how similar an experience of, of a, a professional percussionist who needs a super expressive instrument is to someone who's never picked up the instrument and just wants to move around. Essentially, the instrument is the same thing um, for both people. Um, you just need a very strong correlation between the movement and the sound so that you have uh, this sense that you're controlling the sound. Um, and a percussionist might take that to another level and play certain things with it, but a non-musician would still interact with it on a similar level and enjoy the fact that they're, um, you know, getting movement and sound coupled in a way that's meaningful for them. And this kind of takes us to another point of what we focus on at Sensilab is actually bringing this instrument to people living with physical disability because most of the time a trombone might not be accessible, as we say. Mm. And the kind of adaptions that we make to the trombone still might not make it as accessible as, as we'd like. But the air sticks, we hope, through our research, um, can develop into an instrument that allows people to, with physical disability, intellectual disability, to just engage with electronic music and empower an improvisation. A lot of it, of what we try to do is, is improvised um, in a sense of let's just move around, make some noise and enjoy the, the, that relationship as opposed to let's write a piece of music, let's get on radio, let's, um, you know, form a band. So have, um, have, you seen, you know, have you seen the air sticks used in ways that you didn't conceive of? Oh, um, completely. Yeah, right. Completely. We had, a, we had a really amazing experience with... Um, a company called Boilover. They're an inclusive um, 
ensemble uh, out in Sunbury, and we were due to perform with them uh, a couple of weeks ago now, but it obviously got postponed because they locked the first lock the fourth lockdown, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's now moved to September. We hope that that still happens. And we basically came in with one air stick. We didn't want to give too much information away, <laughs> and and just went. This is a tool that makes sound. Do you and think that they're going nine... to presuppose that there's a separate air stick based on the first air stick? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, it's more that we didn't have the second one built. We brought in we brought in one, and we kind of you know alluded that it was a magical one. <laughs> and there were nine different um, performers there all just using it in such different ways. It was so exciting to watch. And what we did as researchers is we recorded the data in the way that they moved and then played it back to, to in the lab to hear um, how different everyone's movement was and then started building new specific mappings for each person depending on how they moved and the music that they liked to... Uh, perform with in the show Uh, and that was a really exciting process for us to to go through um to really try to um blur that line between listening and the way people interacted with the instrument um yeah so hopefully there's a lot more where that came from in terms of of working with people with with disability it sounds like you're really prepping for a very exciting performance because you know you're you're thinking so much about the visual elements as well as the the sound and that's that's pretty amazing uh i think our audience would be wondering now if there's an event that we could promote that's coming up but with all the lockdowns going on that's got to be very difficult instead i'd suggest where can we where can people keep an eye on your work so that they're aware when something does come up uh, well, yeah, Instagram, Facebook. Um, on Instagram, I'm, I'm Airsticks Guy at the moment, and um, I have trying to just put up a video every day of the latest development with the Airsticks and the position that my dog is sleeping in um, <laughs> at the time. Uh, so, just trying keeps to keeps everybody happy. Yeah, exactly, and um, and probably the next major performance that I'm really hoping won't get cancelled is with an incredible ensemble in Melbourne called Speak Percussion that probably m- many of your, of your listeners might know about. They're a contemporary percussion ensemble. They make incredible work. Um, I'm really honoured to work with them and we're doing a piece at the Percy Granger Museum uh, in mid-October. So that's probably the next major event. Um, well, that's very exciting. Look, yeah. we have been speaking with Dr. Alon Ilsa and... Uh, Thanks so much for spending some time with us this evening. No, oh, thank you so much. I'll go eat my Uber yeah. Eats now. <laughs> Enjoy. And make Before that dog the dog happy. gets it. Triple yeah. yeah. R. So, there are some new emojis on the horizon for 2021 and 22. Oh, you love to hear it. Oh, I love what it. What are they? What's, what's coming our way? Well, there's some cute new stuff, a saluting face, a biting lip coral and a low battery are, um, among the new emojis that are up for approval. Um, you know, it's, it's the 14.0 emoji release that's coming out um, on 14th of September, but appropriately, there's a f- also, you know, a new melting face and face holding back tears emoji. We're leaning right into COVID. 
COVID-19 lifestyle as well. So we've got more options when we're text grizzling to our mates. I just want to know, <laughs> how can they be implemented for sexting? How are we going to uh, well, trans, trans, uh, transmute these I feel like face holding back sexting. tears yeah. is Ooh, yeah. right there. <laughs> Especially when we found out that people use the, you know, the big um, anime eyes emoji mm-hmm. one in yeah. that context. Yeah. Like, I okay. do. I totally do. Yeah. It's either incredibly cute or... Oh, my God, no. (laughs) Sometimes all in the same sentence. Have you also heard that Microsoft has nominated Clippy to be an emoji? Oh, really? I didn't hear that one. It's a little paperclip, but, you know, kind of obnoxious. Yeah. Yep, and I absolutely laughed because immediately on Twitter after seeing that, someone posted a link that, yes, Clippy erotic fan fiction does exist if you do want to get on there and Google it. It's apparently quite dirty. Well, that's um, Rule 34. Do you guys know Rule 34? No. On the internet, Rule 34, anything that exists can be made into porn. So wow. true that. Yeah. Wow. So if yeah. you anything you think of, it's it's already on the internet as porn. Wow. Clippy being Love it. Clippy being that, which is I'm gonna have to uh, check it out just for sheer curiosity, I think. Fantastic. We yeah. should do a segment on the rules. Yeah. <laughs> so I've done my good deed for the day. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I just want there to be more foods. You can always use foods oh, in a always. range of different ways. Mm-hmm. They're good fun. Yeah. So and I feel like, you know, it can be a bit Eurocentric sometimes, you know, <laughs> or extremely Japanese. There's just like one or the other. So true. Yeah. I was actually scrolling through food for some options today and I was like, I can't emoji any of this. Yeah. Is They're it all it hopeless. Tacos? Ta- like yeah. Yeah. Bur- oh, oh. Burritos is a Mexican. Mex- Spoken I don't use like a- not a lesbian. <laughs> yes. Yes, there are. <laughs> I have been known to send a taco or two of a day. <laughs> You just love tacos, don't you? <laughs> they're delicious yeah, and they're spicy. Great. They're excellent. <laughs> um, hey, there is an opportunity coming people's way. Applications for the second Melbourne Accelerator Program, um, the Velocity Program in, in particular of 2021, are open. So it's a 10-week program for early-stage founders focused on customer discovery and market validation. Now, it's a startup sort of accelerator. It's not only for IT companies, but let's face it, so many companies are digitally led these days. So if that could be you, um, head to www.themap.co slash program slash velocity to find out more. They have an Ask Me Anything event happening on Thursday, the 29th of July from 5 to 6 p.m. And you can find it there. Also, GDC is coming up or is on now. Uh, Check it out. There's a bunch of stuff on YouTube. Uh, I'm going to dig my teeth into some uh, game development kind of stuff beautiful yeah yeah hey and a, and a one that's coming up a little bit later the royal botanic gardens in melbourne are hosting a massive worldwide alternate reality art exhibition in september this sounds so cool it'll be all over all of your events newsletters your broadsheets your timeouts your concrete playgrounds so we might cover it a little closer to the event until then, time to wrap for the evening. It has been so nice having these very community-based discussions of people's dogs and Uber deliveries and what have you <laughs> in the background tonight with you all while we're in lockdown. Mm. Um, so big thanks to our guests this evening, Milan Rajkovic and Dr. Alon Ilsar. Thanks so much to my fellow hosts, Ro, mm-hmm. looking beautiful with your fresh green hair. Thank you. Dan, also I looking beautiful. forgot to shave. Yeah. So I've got a bit of stubble. It's well, you know, it's nice to have somewhere to, to you know, grow up into. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got places to go. Thanks to our talks producer, Elizabeth McCarthy. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. 
Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or bite into its Twitter or Facebook accounts. 